we're talking about time, um, I seriously, as I'm writing the newsletter, um, which is something that sort of like stumps me all week long, and I don't know why I only have to write like this much, but for some reason, it's just those, the thing that annoys me to no end. Like, what am I going to say in like four lines that people will read? So I said the word time so many times that the Cindy Lauper was just playing on repeat all the time. Um, but anyway, we say things like, um, time flies when you're having fun. We've been talking about summer, and I was just talking to some friends about I can't believe how quickly it's going. You know those movie montages where they're like trying to show you that there's been a great passage of time and then the, the pages just rip off the calendar? That's what it feels like. It's, it's this season of my life for sure in a new role and sort of, um, you know, Sundays have taken on a different thing, right? And so the weeks are just, do you guys feel like that? Is that feeling? I mean, time is just going. And then I think about all the different ways that we spend our time and um, most people have at least a 40-hour work week, right? Some of you are like, 40 hours, I wish. Um, uh, some of you are heading into a retirement season, so that is maybe uh, different for you, and you're sort of worried about how you're now going to spend your time now that you're, this whole part of your life having to do with work uh, is, in the official sense, feels over, so now what? And so then I thought, how much time do we spend doing other things? And so... You spend uh, 16,000 hours in school from, by the time you're from like pre-K to 12th grade. So teachers, Alex, we love you. It's a lot of time. And you're still spending the time uh, with kids. And then if you think about uh, more like outside activities and being involved in sports and doing uh, and having homework, you're looking at more like 30,000 hours. And then if you were a person that went to a four-year college, then that's probably an additional 30 to 40, depending on your major, or for me, your commitment level. <laughs> Mine was relatively low. <laughs> so I went on a lot of road trips and things like that. We can count those. Um, and then here's something interesting. We spend 32,000 hours just eating and drinking over our lifetime, which is actually pretty cool. That's why we talk about, right, the idea of like what it means to gather around a table so often because so much of our life is spent around that. So hopefully you're spending more time gathered around a large table with people and less eating cereal over your sink. So that's something that I do way too much of. And then there's, we spend a third of our lives sleeping, which is a lot, which is I say, invest in a good mattress, right? Like don't let that be the thing that uh, give, uh, you don't have a good night's sleep over. Because if you live to be 75, that is 25 years of your life on sleep. Which just sort of like, I can't wrap my brain around that, right? And then we have just the demands uh, of, our, of our life where, where we say like time waits for no one. And there just sort of seems to be so many different things. Josh, can you put up the first slide? I've, do you ever feel like this, right? Whatever it is, it has to happen now. What time is it? It's now time. It's, it's there's gotta be things that I have to, to do. The kids have to be somewhere. Um, we have these family expectations, right? Like, Especially, I feel like around summer and gatherings and things, there's this like, you're going to be here at the next thing. And if you're married and you've got a couple families, it's like, before you know it, your whole weekend has been spent going here and there. And you're like, when did we even get time to sort of come up for air? That's sort of the life that, that we live. And even the fun things can start to feel stressful. Like I've been sort of thinking about this week for me and I had, you know, a, this week was busy. We had music at the pavilion and then we I had the 4th of July parade and then I was going to go up to see my dad um, at his 
uh, campground area and we're gonna hang out there overnight. But I've also gotta make sure I'm ready for today and then I'm gonna go camping next week. And all those things are fun, but I was starting to like tailspin about it because it's like, oh, it's gonna take so much time uh, to, to make this all happen. And it all felt like it had to get done now. So time passes with what we choose to commit our time, energy, and resources to, right? One of the Dignity Serves uh, principles was our desired impact should be matched with commitment. And that is not uh, always the case for me. Uh, Josh, will you put up the second slide? We talked about this uh, scripture verse uh, earlier from Matthew 16, right? This, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves take up their cross and follow me. We have difficulty denying ourselves. I certainly do, right? And if you look, if I fill this out, um, my, uh, my time slot has a lot to do with me and the things that I want and what I want. And, and, and so much of it is sometimes maybe not even things I necessarily always choose, right? Some would say that we, we live in a different world now and it demands a lot from us. But the more I've been thinking about it, I said, we, we maybe live in a world, we just have a lot more choices. Demands and choices can feel a little bit different. We often see things as these have to sort of things when really I think about, it's just a choice that I'm, I'm choosing to make for myself, right? Now we have more channels than we've ever had before. We have more activities to do. We can, um, we can travel far more easy than we ever did before. We connect with one another. I mean, it's, those things are fundamentally good things, but it's just other things that take up this idea of time. We have millions and millions of ways that we can choose to spend our time. And time is this extremely valuable commodity, right? Like we, we, we talk about it. We, we maybe um, have conversations about like, okay, how are we gonna do, how are we gonna lay out our plan? How are we gonna spend our time uh, as a family? How are we gonna spend our time when we're on this vacation? Do you have some type A parents that you grew up with that had like an itinerary, like a typed out, like, and here's what we're gonna do, everybody up by 7.30? Maybe some of you have been in arguments within your marriage about time. Are you spending too much time doing this? Are you working too much? And this idea of not having enough time has been a wedge, maybe? Time is this, this valued commodity and it, it shows our commitment level to things and to people. It's just extremely valuable and our, our commitment reve are revealed with how we spend our time. So maybe you can sort of check out your, the sheets for you or to think about like what it was like to sort of fill, fill that out. Was, was some of it a little cringy to you or some of it was like, no, I feel good about this. I feel like I live this really balanced life. I bet none of you said that. I don't feel like any of us have found this, this secret to this balanced life people talk about which is probably, um, you know, kind of a crock more than anything else, right? This, this fact that we're gonna find this perfect balance to things and it's always gonna feel good and I'm gonna have enough time for all the things I wanna do. That's just not the way that it, that it works, especially in the culture that we live in, right? We wear our busyness as a badge of honor. Do you know what I mean? Like to be busy means to be productive and being productive is the gold medal standard. I think that's true across the board, but it's proven to be true in my life growing up in more of a, I'm gonna call it a West Michigan Dutch culture, right? Idle hands. Idle hands are the devil's playground, I tell you what. My grandma would come over in the morning. Um, my mom would go to work in the summertime 
and my sister and I, and we, even when we got to the level of age where we could, we could take care of ourselves for the most part. My grandma lived next door. My aunt lived next door. It was like they were a phone call away. It was fine. My grandma would come over just to make sure that we didn't sleep too long. Because if you slept too long, how are you going to have a productive day? Uh, because sleeping in was like, just, you should be ashamed of yourselves, right? Do you grow up in like a culture like that where it's like, man, if you, if you sleep or if somebody says like, oh, I slept till nine o'clock today. Oh, wow, you slept, you slept late. And you're like, nine o'clock is a reasonable hour for me to feel like I want to get up, Right? <laughs> But then the minute we think, well, you couldn't be productive. And so we sort of freak out because it's this time thing, right? It's either you're busy or you're lazy. And there's nothing in between those two things. That's how definitely, I mean, how I sort of live my life. And then we sort of have this idea of, of me time. I'm going to put the next slide up, right? Then we say, and all the busyness and bustle of life, I need a little bit of... Um, a little bit of me time. I need to unwind. I need to relax. You ever have that? Like, I need some me time? You can be, you can be honest with yourself. Yeah, I need some me time. If you're anything like me, uh, next slide, Josh, this is what my me time looks like. Um, I want to check out of my reality and my life, and I want to go see what Elizabeth McCord is up to um, as Madam Secretary. I think she's running for president now. I don't know. I'm not on season five yet. Or maybe if I only have a little bit of time, I'm going to go to Pawnee, Indiana for a little bit and just uh, hang out with my friend Leslie Nope, uh, and just spend a little time there, right? Like I'm just, that's gonna be refreshing and relaxing, and I just get to not think about things and sort of go into this world uh, that I enjoy spending time in. Those are good things. Or maybe you have a hobby. I'm gonna choose golf because I know about Brian and Jeff, and the world knows their love of golf. But you substitute your thing. Like that's your space to say, this is how I'm going to spend some, some me time. I'm going to relax. I'm going to do this thing that I enjoy. And we want to treat ourselves to that. Or maybe you're more like the next one where you're going to, oh, just, just, just zone out a little bit. Maybe have a facial, uh, treat yourself to a pedicure. Like that's how we talk about this self-care, right? Like I just need a little bit of self-care. And none of those things are inherently wrong. I'm not a lazy sloth because I like to watch Netflix, that's, that's, that's not what it's about. I think we've just evolved this idea of, of, of me time has turned into this, this, this synonym for self-care, right? So the self-care, which is really actually supposed to be about taking care of yourself, eating well, sleeping well, making time to connect meaningfully with people. And we've sort of turned it into more self-indulgent behaviors. I know I have, right? a little bit more self-indulgent. But if we want our lives to reflect Jesus, to deny ourselves certain things so that we can be more and more like him, we have to be more intentional with our time and not let time simply happen to us. Terry used to tell me that in the beginning. Pastor Terry would, I would talk about my schedule and I loved the fact that my job had this schedule where it just sort of, it was never the same. If I have a schedule that's the same, I start to freak out and I go, no, 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 no. This feels, I feel claustrophobic and like I couldn't, I can't handle it. I worked in a factory as a, as a kid and I just couldn't handle my life. Only because it was just the same, it was the same thing and I just had to put the screws in the panels exactly where they went at the Herman Miller panel plant. Like that's what I did. And then two hours later, I'd get to change the job and I couldn't wait, 
right, to change, to have the next job. I was like, ooh, I get to make boxes this two hours, right? Because I just, that's just not me, right? I can't sort of handle the same kinds of things. But Terry would always say, in your schedule, if you want to prioritize things, you have to make certain things more important than other things. So you have to say no to some things and say, I'm gonna take the time in my schedule to do this. And for me, it was like administration, right? I had to make sure that enough of my day was prioritized in a way that was gonna be helpful because I allowed my schedule to happen to me because I loved a good distraction, right? Oh, you wanna have coffee? Yes, I wanna have coffee with you. The administration can wait. Before I know it, it's two weeks later. I'm like, shoot, that email has been sitting in my inbox for a while, right? I sacrificed sleep to watch just one more episode, which is really ridiculous because it's on Netflix. Like I can get it later. I don't need to sacrifice my sleep in order to watch this next thing. And then in and of it all, even if I'm sitting on the couch or or doing the thing that relaxes you, or having your me time, do you ever still have the nagging feeling in the back of your head, like, how am I gonna get it all done? So we're still worried about the things, about how all the demands of our life are still gonna get everything done. Because we wanna be continually molded into the image and likeness of Jesus, yes? That's our hope? He never, ever used the word me time. Never once. He made, he made time to be with people even when it would have felt inconvenient or after he had a long day, right? Can you put up the next slide for me? There's, here's some addresses that we're gonna go to just to spend a little time in. So if you have a device, use your device. If you have a Bible, that's even better. I didn't put them all on the screen because I want you to be able to open it and to see it and to spend time in it. And one of my favorite stories of Jesus is Mark 5. I'm not, I could, this is a whole separate thing that I'll get to do someday uh, because there's so much goodness in Mark, in Mark 5 with Jesus' encounter with this woman who had been suffering. She had been suffering uh, from a bleeding condition for 12 years, right? And if you know anything about um, what it was like to be a Jew in those days, there were a lot of rules about being clean and unclean. So this bleeding that took place for 12 years meant she had been unclean that whole time. So not only was it uh, inconvenient for her, potentially painful, um, she was also completely secluded from any kind of community. Because if you touched her, you would be unclean. And then you would have to go back and look at the rules for what it meant to be clean again. And they are long and it takes a while and generally involve priests coming to your house. So she was this woman that had spent no time in community, completely alone, but she had this idea that if I can see Jesus, I think he's gonna be the one that can restore me to health. And he does more than restore her to health, he restores her back to community. He not only heals her from her afflicted, uh, bleeding disease, but he brings her back to community by doing so, that she can, she can be back with her family, that she can sit in the same room as her kids, that her kids can hug her and kiss her and tell her that they love her and be with her. He restores her and makes her whole and clean again. But you know what Jesus was doing? Jesus was on his way, it says in, in the very beginning, he uh, was crossing over the lake because he'd been teaching in the Galilee region for a while. He crosses over the other side and this man named uh, Jairus is... Um, one of a, a teacher, he's involved in, in, in the temple works and he is a guy that has a little bit of clout. So if you wanna go uh, get to the front of the line, 
This is a guy that would have gotten himself to the front of the line to talk to Jesus. He says, my daughter's dying. She might even already be dead. But I believe in you enough uh, to see what you've already done and to, and to hear the things that you've been doing and teaching. And I believe that you can heal my daughter. Another man that already had faith in Jesus. And so Jesus is like, I'm on it. He gets his people. They start heading to Jairus' house. It's an emergency level, right? It's a literal life and death scenario for Jesus. That's what he's on his way to. When he sees a woman, right? When you're on your way to this thing that's really important and this woman comes up and he grabs his cloak, the edge of his cloak. And that's a whole, that's a sermon in a whole different part about what that meant to grab the edge of his garment. But, but she does. And Jesus stops in the middle of a crowd full of people and says, who touched me? Who touched me? And the disciples are like, Jesus, are you kidding me? There's a million people and they're all shoving in on you. We don't know who touched you. Probably tons of people did. But he said it felt the power go from him. And then he stops and he, he, and he has a conversation with this woman. I don't know if, if he necessarily hears her whole story, but he looks at her and they, have a, and they talk and they speak. On the way to this thing where, where Jairus' daughter is dead or dying, doesn't know, he takes this time to have a conversation with this woman who it's not as emergent, right? She's had this disease for 12 years. He could have doubled back and done it later. But in that moment, in, the, in an inconvenient time, in a place that felt like now, 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 this has to happen now, he talks to this woman and I love it. He says, he asked who touched me. And then in verse 34, he says to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And I imagine that in that moment, because of what we know about Jesus, in that crowd of people, this is how I picture that, that he would have gone up to her and taken his face, her face in his hands and gotten really close. And just had that moment. In, in amongst this emergent situation, he has this moment with this woman that says, I see you, I care about you, and the faith that you have has healed you. Go in peace. Jesus took time. In, in, in Matthew, uh, there's a story where he's been teaching and preaching and the little kids wanna come and spend time with Jesus. And again, in that day and age, children didn't have a high value. Jesus, you don't need to spend, your, they don't understand yet what you're trying to teach them or, or, you know, you don't have to worry about that. There's no children's sermon, right? Like we're just gonna keep, we're just gonna keep moving so that you can spend time and get in front of a larger group of people that will, you know, have a better understanding. But Jesus says, no, let them come. I will take time out of my busy schedule, my preaching and teaching circuit, miracles, healing, and I'm gonna spend time with some kids because I value them because I think that they're important, because I want them to know that I love them too. And then if there's any version of me time that Jesus ever had, was never about him, it was about spending time with his father. He often went alone to pray, right? I love it the way this is in Luke 15, 16, it says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. His version of me time was spending time with the Father, knowing that all his power and strength and who he was and what he could do rested in his dad. 
if, I were, if our me time looked a little more like that, right? That it wasn't about us, that it was about me getting away and spending time with the Father. Because the Father's gonna pour into me more than Netflix ever could. And one of these days, I'm gonna get that. I know that it's true, but man, when it comes time to it, I just want to do my own thing. Because it's quick and it's easy. And it's, it's, it's faster. I get that little, um, you know, breath and it feels really, really good. But I know in my heart that if I, if I take the time to spend time in God's word with the Father, that's gonna be gonna pour into me and give me the power and the strength to do the next thing. I need to take that time and go up on a mountainside and pray. Taking kids backpacking in the mountain is what we do uh, in, in Young Life. I, I talked to you a little bit about that. I actually went with Lizzie. Lizzie and I hiked the Grand Tetons and we had a great time. And oh, there's so many stories that we could tell you from that trip and involved me getting pushed up a mountain, basically. Uh, I was the slowest antelope. So it was one of those things. Don't worry, guys, if a bear comes around, it's me. I'm the one, right? But in that moment, that gave us a better understanding of what it meant. Well, I think why Jesus picked a mountainside, right? It's beautiful there. You are surrounded by the glory of creation and you are, for us, you are unplugged from everything. You could have a cell phone, but it'd do you zero good. And it was this great moment to be alone with God. It was our intention to bring kids there so that that's what could happen to them. Is they could, there was no other distraction. The only thing that they could do and be away from the group is when they had this time of solitude to be alone with the Father. And that's when real relationships with Jesus started. That's when they were, got cultivated for the first time is when there was nothing else, there was no other things to plug into and it was just them and their Father. What an amazing sort of time that that is. So if we go back to our dignity serves principles. So for those of you that didn't, that didn't go, this is why I bring it back because it was so meaningful to me. I wanna make sure that when I can incorporate it, when it makes sense, I do. It says relying on hope, relying on the hope we have in Jesus helps us make commitments that make a difference. Right, so, so in, in Philippians 1, 6 through 8, uh, it says this. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he, listen to this part, this is my favorite part, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, right? He's already begun a good work in you. You already have things to offer because of the way that he created you to be. You were made in his image and in his likeness and he gave you his mind and his spirit and we actually have the power to deny ourselves because we are like Jesus. Scripture tells us that. We are like Jesus. If you don't, I mean, if that's not enough to convince you, the great theologian, Mr. Rogers said it this way. You know, I love him. You rarely have time for everything you want in this life. So you need to make choices. And hopefully your choices can come from a deep sense of who you are. And who you are is a child of God. Right, First John 4 says, in this world, we are like him. Jesus says in Matthew 9, he goes on to say, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers, they're few. Right, there are people that today want to be, need to be connected 
but there's not, there's, there's not enough people that wanna help make that happen because that's what Jesus does for us. He left and he went into heaven and he said, I give you my Holy Spirit. All the, the work that, that, that I want to have happen is already being done in you. You have everything that you need to go out and to be the workers because the harvest, it is ready. We have to try to connect, right? To know our community, to be intentional with our whole lives. In Dignity Serves, it says it this way, and I wanna just read it for you word to word, word for word, because I can't say it any, any better. If we want to live with dignified interdependence, we need to learn to enjoy our dependence on God and to share with others in the matter of giving and receiving. As we learn to trust God more fully, to express our needs more courageously, and to listen to others more empathetically, we will see the most self-obsessed people turn to God. Our most broken relationships begin to heal, and even the most distressed neighborhoods of our community become places of hope. Because we have hope in Jesus. Because of who he is, who he says he is, who he promises to be, he is those things and, and he gives us our, his Holy Spirit. All of that, all of the things that he is resides in us. Tim Harlow in his book that we've been kind of uh, reading talks about, he touches on this one idea and it's, it's from um, a story in Matthew uh, and warns us against being a double sons of hell. This might feel like a, like a big, tra big transitional piece, right? But I promise it fits in. Uh, in Matthew 23, uh, starting at verse 13, it says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. This is Jesus talking. Woe to you, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor you will, will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much of a child as hell as you are. Remember last week we talked about because we have hope in Jesus, the things that we want to spend our time in is, is relaying the hope and the life and the light that we have in Jesus instead of making it about the things that we are against and the things that separate us and the things that people um, want to say, can I be part of your group? Tim in his book says um, he, he didn't really realize this for himself until he was sort of this, uh, he was a guy uh, of a church, uh, Parkview Church in Chicago, and um, it's a relatively large church. And he theologically was a young creationist, right? He believed that the earth was roughly 2,000 years old, and he was more of a traditionalist when it came to the seven days of creation, so much so that he uh, wrote to his schools around when sort of the ideas of intelligent design were coming out. And so he wrote a very strongly worded letter to his school that his kids attended. And then he kind of passed that on and people got to know about it. And so he shared it with his congregation and said, if you wanna you know, be part of sending this letter, if this is what you believe, you can do so. And that was sort of the thing that he became famous for for a little bit, was writing this letter. And then later he met a guy at his church who is, uh, was a PhD level person, right? Highly intelligent um, and said, hey, um, do I have to believe all of this? Do I have to believe this part of theology in order to, 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 to go to heaven? And, it, and Tim in that moment was like, oh no, I've done it. 
Like this is what I'm talking about. I've, 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 I've let this one thing uh, shut off the gate to people coming into the kingdom of heaven because of this one thing. And nothing made Jesus more upset than seeing people represent, misrepresenting his father, right? Being inconsistent with the father's true nature. And that's oftentimes for a long time of what we spent our time doing as evangelicals, as people that want to win others for Jesus, right? Do I have to believe in your views on creation to be a Christian? What are those, some of those things, right? He, he was fighting this battle that was keeping him from winning the war, right? He was wasting his precious time being about this relatively inconsequential thing. The fact that God created the universe, created the world, that's enough that you have to believe in creation. How that all happens, come on. It's way above my pay grade. You may have a doctrinal belief about that. We, we do. I have doctrinal beliefs about lots of things and those are fundamentally uh, true to me, but someone's salvation cannot be tied to our understanding of a certain doctrinal stance, like the, how the beginning of the world. Or when I was a kid, if you were a dunker or a sprinkler when it came to baptism, right? I can, you, can, you can read a million arguments for or against those things, right? Or which party you should vote for. If we're on mission to connect with the world, the sons of hell battles need to be laid aside so that we don't alienate the very people that want to come in and be reached through you. So when we think about ways that we want to spend our time, we want to spend our time engaging and loving and caring and meeting people where they are and saying the our arms are open wide. The church's arms are open wide. You can come into this place. We don't need to waste our time raging against, ranting against things, but instead being people of hope. Because the truth is that arguing with someone is never gonna get them to know or love Jesus, amen? Jesus never argued anyone into his kingdom. In fact, the only people he ever argued with were the Pharisees, the people he called sons of hell. He's the only one time Jesus ever argued with people in, in, in scripture. Is when he was arguing against those people that called themselves the holy ones, right? The people on the inside. Time is precious. Put up, that, put up that quote one more time. If time is precious, then this, you're not gonna have enough time to do everything. So hopefully your choices come from a deep sense of who you are. And if you are a follower of Jesus, we have to figure out ways together to make sure that our lives are reflecting that, that we are denying ourselves, picking up our cross and following Jesus when it's inconvenient and messy and when there never feels like there's gonna be enough. A deep sense of who you are as a child of God. Amen, let's pray. God, we're your children and we love you. But just like children, sometimes we, um, we do things that don't make sense. We have temper tantrums and um, we wanna do things our, our own way. We want to spend our time uh, doing things that aren't not only not productive, but aren't the things that you're about. And so I just pray that there'll be a, a conviction in, in our lives and in our hearts about the way that we spend our time. What will we spend our time um, filling ourselves with? Are we spending enough time with you? God, you are the giver of all good things and everything that we need resides in us. And so I pray that you just root out those things. Help us to see, 
not because we want to feel uh, fear or shame, but that we have a strong conviction in our hearts of the way that you want us to be, the way that you want to, um, to fill us up, and the way that you want us to interact with the world around us in a more intentional way. That for me, that I can turn off Netflix and go and spend time in, in community, that I can invite someone else into my space and my life more often. God, you love us so much and, and we have a hope in who you are and who you say that you are. Help us to be your image bearers, bringers of hope and light and life, just the way that Jesus was. God, we ask that. We ask that for ourselves and, and give us, help us think about and give us concrete ways to, to live those things out. Help the discussion to, to overflow into lunch conversations and around dinner tables uh, so that we can be the kind of people that reorient ourselves towards you. Lord, in all things. In Jesus' name we pray and believe. Amen.